Well, Happy New Year, Beards and Bible listeners. We asked and you delivered. Now we want to take time to answer some of your questions related to topics like the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the unforgivable sin, the sin of anxiety versus the mental health disorder of anxiety. Saul and the Witch of Endor, our thoughts on the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast, The Shack, and any more we can squeeze into this episode. So thankful for you guys. Thank you for sending in all your awesome questions. Hold tight. This might be a long one. Hope you're ready. Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast where we talk about Bible beards and seeing the world through the biblical worldview. I like that. That's a good slogan. We should probably start using that every episode. Mm-hmm. It just flowed really nice. Mm. Yeah. My name is Josh. I'm joined by Gabe, my co-host, and it's been a while. It has. Yeah. As the as the great scholar from the band Stained once famously said, it's been a while. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, we took a little bit of a break recording yeah. new episodes and spent a lot of time with family and traveled and yeah, so I'm glad yeah, that we man. have the flexibility to do that and thank you those who are listening and giving us grace to be able to do that. Absolutely. What did you guys do over your, your time off? Well, uh, spent a lot of it going down to Southwest Florida and... Uh, hung out on my in-laws creek you've been down there you've seen the I creek i have yeah that's awesome man and uh so yeah they have a they have a nice little shallow creek that flows through the property and my brother and his family came down and stacy's brother and her you know his family came down and just extended family you know it's just like this awesome just everyone sitting around lawn chairs watching the kids play in the creek and you know eating good food and yeah it's really nice really, that's very, awesome, very refreshing yeah it sounds like it we uh we had a good time off we were it's kind of a weird, <clears throat> um, weird holiday season. I don't know if I told you this, Gabe. I mean, I uh, I got into a car accident in November. The mm-hmm. truck got totaled. Insurance uh, reimbursed me because it was not my fault. I had a drunk driver pull out in front of me, and I couldn't find any vehicle in our market that was the same cost as what they reimbursed me for. So I went outside of our market to North Georgia and found what I thought was a really good truck. And uh, had a friend of mine go down there and check it out. Everything checked out just fine. And then um, found out when I got the title in the mail, it was a fraudulent title. Oh, gosh. Yep. And uh, the odometer said it had 158,000 miles. Um, found out it actually had 290,000 miles. Wow. And somebody had swapped out the odometer and tried to sell it to me. So um, after a lot of headache and... Uh, threatening to sue this individual through the magistrate court, which I hated to do, but I didn't know how else to make it right. Um, They finally agreed to make it right and give me my money back and take the truck back. So Mm. that was my Christmas break. Uh, (laughs) That is a mess. I hate that. Oh, man. I would not wish that on my worst enemy, dude. That is like the worst feeling ever when you realize you've been taken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. I'm going to be a lot more cautious next time I go vehicle shopping. Yeah. So. That's a bummer. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And then we all got the stomach bug. Went through our whole house. Mm. And uh, 
then it was the new year. Do you, want, new year. do you want to describe your symptoms of the stomach bug? Or you just I do, to... yes. Pain, <laughs> abdominal pain, cramping. agony, abdominal cramping, yes, night sweats. Um, no, but it was uh, all that being said, Jenny and I were talking about yesterday, we really feel like um, God's power was at work. And he was gracious and kind to us in the midst of that. And we had a really, really good holiday season. Even in spite of that, just good good to be with family. And um, my son had his sixth birthday, and that was great. And then Georgia won the national championship on Monday. So mm. I can tell you really care about that. Yeah, that's that's you're talking about hockey, right? <laughs> Georgia hockey. <laughs> the Georgia Panthers. You always have been big into sports. That's one thing I bet you have appreciated. Uh you yeah, know I, no, I, you know I, literally nothing about sports. When I moved to Alabama, I was like, okay, I have to figure out what these different symbols are because I keep seeing, <laughs> I keep seeing an A, and then I keep seeing an AU, and I keep seeing like Roll Tide. I'm like, I have to. So I got on Wikipedia, no what, lie, and I was like, what does it mean to roll a tide? Yeah, yes, I'm still confused on the Roll Tide thing, but I got on Wikipedia and I was like reading Alabama football facts, and I was mm. like, okay, yeah, I knew mm. who like, uh, well, I now forget Bear, Bear, Bear Bryant, Bryant. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm yeah. like, okay, now I feel a little bit better. I can I can at least identify the, the decals on the back of people's car and be like, you're associated with Auburn University. Yeah. They're the Tigers. And I, <laughs> I so I know I you Did, gotta, you have to have like assimilate into the culture a little bit. Were you aware that Alabama was beaten by Georgia this Monday for the national championship? Were you aware of that being an Alabama resident? No, not at all. So there wasn't like a great cry of agony that went up. I I had no idea that there was mm-hmm. even no idea. a game okay. going on. No. Yeah. yeah so I've been a lifelong fan of University of Georgia because my dad is an alumni, my uncles were, my grandmother was, and grew up watching all the games, going to the games, and so to see this happen in my lifetime never happened in my lifetime, so hmm. it's crazy. But wow. th- I, I wouldn't expect you to care all that much. But I mean, <laughs> maybe somebody here. listening is like crying a golden bulldog tear, but not Gabe, not nope, Gabe, not me, no. not a care in the world. I mean, not a care in <laughs> literally zero. You know what's given. I, um, I, I will watch the, what's it called? The Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Okay. I Good will job. watch that. That's the Good one job. football okay. game per year I will watch. Although you, I think I missed last year's. Was there you, a Super Bowl last year? <laughs> yes, okay. there was. I missed it. I missed that one. <laughs> Do you watch it just for the commercials, though, in the halftime show? No, I, I watch You're it. You're like, oh, man, Rihanna's playing the halftime show. Can't miss that. There was one I watched with the Atlanta Falcons, like maybe four or oh, five years don't ago. don't even say that one. That one hurts my soul. That was an incredible game. That was like... That was the worst game I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Well, I was a Falcons fan at the time. And then after that, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm never watching the Falcons again. And mm-hmm. I switched my allegiances to the Tennessee Titans. But that was that was an incredible game, unless yeah. you were a Falcons fan. Now, are you at the point where you, you're a football fan where you you talk in like first person? Like, man, we, we had a good defense last night. Man... I really try not to, mm-hmm. but you do a little bit. Sometimes, yeah. it's it really comes out when I'm talking to people that I have uh, been friends with for years who are also a fan of the same team that I'm in. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're like, "Oh man, we we really have a," you know, I sometimes I can fall into that, but I really try because I just think that's such a like stupid thing that men do live vicariously through their sports teams mm. they're like man we just we beat them i'm like you didn't play you were sitting on your couch eating doritos um so yeah i try not to but yeah sometimes i'm guilty of that mm. just a little bit but okay yeah but it's a big year for anyone who cares about sports because the atlanta braves won the world series and the georgia bulldogs won the national championship mm. so but it's a georgia year georgia i year. think so 
I think so, except for in basketball and football. But, mm. yeah. Well, I think we're going <laughs> to... We're going to change the subject. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, I don't think we're going to get far as a sports talk uh, radio yeah, no. show. You're speaking as someone who's completely illiterate in sports. Uh, but what I am hopefully a little bit literate in is uh, the Bible. Yes. And it may be answering questions. I think we're going to dig into the mailbag yes, a little bit. Yes, we are. Yeah, I wish we had some sort of a cool like sound or graphic mm. like from Blue's Clues. Mm. Mail. But I, I don't think I could get permission from You could put something Nickelodeon. in post-editing. Post yeah, phone post, yeah. There yeah. you go. Well, cool. Well, yeah, we asked you guys to send us your questions um, regarding the Bible or culture, anything you would like for us to speak into. Some of these were, um, man, awesome, awesome, awesome. So thank you guys for responding. We are picking out the ones that we think we can do justice to. Um, we may not get to all of these, but we're going to try just to tackle it um one at a time and um some of these we may just scratch the surface on but we're going to do our best to kind of speak to it in a timely manner and uh we'll see what happens sound good mm. yeah and we've got our our adult diapers on ready to go because it's going to be a long episode <laughs> if you're driving this is a great episode to listen to on your way cross country so this, yeah this is uh yeah. this is sponsored by depends <clears throat> this episode yeah absolutely Yep, like those astronaut astronaut lady who put on a diaper for the century. So I forgot all I forgot all about that. <laughs> that was like in two thousand five or something. I don't know. Yeah, Google it. Yeah. Hmm. All right, <clears throat> first question: uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and the question is, what is at the heart of the unforgivable sin? So hmm. this question really is centered around Matthew twelve, verse thirty one through thirty two. And this is the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus said this, So I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Mm. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Mm. And so that's kind of a tricky verse to to think through because it seems like in the Bible God is a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, forgiving God who forgives so many of horrible and rebellious sins. But then mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, hey, there's one that he won't forgive, and that's the blasphemy of the Spirit. So then the question is, okay, what is that? Mm. So what do you think, Gabe? What is that? Cheering well, for seemed... Alabama? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Wait, you know, the interesting thing, like, like the, you look at the Greek word behind blasphemy, it's blasphemy. Blasphemy is actually the Greek word that's mm. being used there. It's where, we, where it's where we get our English blasphemy. And it simply means to slander or speak uh, condescendingly towards. Um, mm. Funny a funny story, when I was in high school, uh, uh, there was a, a video circulating uh, that was... A, famous televangelist that everyone knows was going back and forth and pacing back and forth on the stage and people were coming up and lining up next next to him on the stage and he was like hitting him in the head and uh like it was you know they were falling down just left and right as he was hitting them in the head and just like they were being slain in the spirit but someone put that video over top of the song 
let the bodies hit the floor. And it was, let the <laughs> bodies hit the yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah. And so video. <laughs> I thought it was the best thing ever. And I like, I pulled the video up and I played it for my dad. And my dad was like, no, 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 turn this off. This is, this is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So it's just funny. Cause like that oh, was wow. when I started, when I heard this question, I was like, Oh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Let the bodies hit the floor. And I was like, no, it's a little bit more than that. It's a little bit more. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, but I, I like the, a really good example. I think is, is looking at Acts chapter five with these two individuals that come on mm. the scene um, that are called Ananias and Sapphira. Um, and, and oddly enough, when I was looking up that story this morning, uh, I found some, uh, some links to a website on Pinterest where you can download Ananias and Sapphira coloring pages for your kids. So. Oh, that's, that's exceptionally, uh, yeah. age appropriate for family yeah. emotions. Yeah. So you can, yeah, you can, <clears throat> you can color them as they're putting Ananias and Sapphira's bodies in the ground. <laughs> but no, so what happens in the story is like they, you know, they sell a piece of property, they keep some of the money for themselves and they pretend to give all the proceeds of this property to the, the apostles. But um, the apostles, and I think more specifically Peter, is given a word of knowledge, so to speak, given given insight into their hearts, or at least hears that they sold the property for more and they withheld some of the money. But they're just trying to look righteous by giving this money. And uh, he basically says, you have, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Um, and then they fall down dead. So this is interesting for us because in this warning about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, informs us of a key component of the theology of Christ and also the apostles that the Holy Spirit is a person yeah. and it can, it can be lied to. He can be lied to mm-hmm. or he can be blasphemed against. He um, be grieved. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I would say, I would say anything kind of like a very like, uh, condensed answer to this question would be, you willingly and knowingly speaking slanderously against the Holy Spirit. And Mm. that could be uh, connected with denying, I feel, the personhood of the Holy Spirit when you have all the information there before you um, that points to the idea of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And that isn't really interesting that I I think that um, so many people see the Holy Spirit as just sort of you know, is this ethereal, like the Force in Star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. not really a person that can be grieved or um, quenched or blasphemed, you know, or slandered? Yeah. 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 That's a good answer. I like that. Um, I would say that to, to understand kind of what Jesus is talking about, first of all, like you said, Gabe, you got to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, but also kind of the specific context of what Jesus is doing as he's giving this teaching. So he's speaking to the Pharisees, and mm-hmm. the Pharisees were showing themselves to be completely opposed to him and his work. And Jesus said in verse 30, just the verse before this teaching, if the kingdom has come upon you and God is at work in your midst, if you're not with me, you're working against me. So it seems like that's what they were doing. They were like working against Jesus and mm-hmm. taking it a step further, saying that Jesus is work was not through the power of the spirit but through the power of satan Mm. and so they were basically slandering the work of the spirit through the son um and jesus says if you speak against me the son that's forgivable and the path to forgiveness for speaking against jesus is repentance because i mean like paul the apostle spoke against jesus 
Simon Peter denied that he knew Jesus, but Jesus mm-hmm. took him back, right? But then he said, speaking against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable because to speak against the Holy Spirit and to slander the Holy Spirit would mean that you rejected that path of forgiveness. Because what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit will soften really hardened hearts and draw somebody to salvation through repentance. But somebody that's like rejecting the work of the Spirit or slandering the work of the Spirit or blaspheming the work of the Spirit, basically, despite the conviction of the Spirit, just digs their heels in and says, I'm not going to repent or I'm not going to seek forgiveness. Yeah. yeah. So to me, the unforgivable sin is willful unbelief. So the Spirit works to draw us to Jesus, and in spite of all the evidence, we dig our heels in and we're like, I'm not going to believe. And it's persistent rebellion. We reject the Spirit's convicting of sin. We proudly refuse to repent, and then we commit a final denial. We blaspheme and reject the Spirit by permanently rejecting Christ. Mm. And so... Mm. When somebody does that and they stand before the white throne of judgment, they're not forgiven mm. because the Spirit was there throughout their entire life convicting them and drawing them to Christ, and yet they blaspheme the work of the Spirit by not coming to Christ and seeking forgiveness. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's it's kind of how I see it. I, don't, I mean, I, mm. I think there's a lot of room for interpretation in that, but what do you think about that? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, and... Basically, um, and, and I get this question, you know, a couple times a year. It's basically like, look, uh, here's kind of like the, the spectrum of what blaspheming the Holy Spirit could be. Let's just agree to stay far away from those things. Exactly. And, and yep. be submissive <clears throat> to the Spirit's leading, the Spirit's conviction, mm-hmm. um, and then be acknowledging of the personhood and the role and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Yep. Absolutely. And I I tell, I know just reassure people, I think you'll be okay if you do that. Yeah. 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 If you've responded to the Holy Spirit by repenting of your sins and putting your hope and faith and trust in Jesus, Mm -hmm. and then you're walking with Jesus. And every time you feel the spirit's conviction, you repent and come back to him. I think you're going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) You've, you've not slandered the work of the spirit in that sense. Um, The Catholic church, I think teaches that this is suicide, the unforgivable sin. Mm. Which mm. I don't think that's true. No, I don't either. Um, that's a that's a tricky subject as well. But mm-hmm. we could get into that another episode. But yeah, so that's kind of uh, yeah, that's an answer for that one. Um, you go into question two. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, question two was someone that sent in a comment uh, about our CRT episode. So we did an episode on critical race theory, and we were talking about um, people in sections of poverty. And this particular email was sent in, and the feedback was, I was struck by two seemingly contradictory values you cited, and I very much much hope you can square them up. In your case against tenants of CRT and oppressed populations, which seem to include a very broad section of folks who are in poverty— You said something to the effect of they don't want to go about making their lives better the right way, but rather they're looking for some sort of handout or perhaps government or legislative intervention. Later in the episode, you cited biblical references directing us to give freely of our resources to the poor or words to that effect. How do you square up those seemingly at odds statements? 
Hmm. So I thought that was a, a very fair feedback of just kind of, hey, um, in one sense, it seems like we were saying, hey, you enable people in positions of poverty when you give them handouts or government legislative intervention. At the same mm-hmm. time, Christians are supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think that's where yeah. that, that, that disconnect was coming from. So what would you, what would you say to that, Gabe? Well, I would say, I would say yeah, this, but at the same time, Christian mm-hmm. organizations can enable poverty as well. Um, they're, they're just mm-hmm. as capable of doing that. Uh, but yeah, to think for a second that the federal government or any state government is capable of appropriately managing our tax money, which they take by force, by the way, we don't give freely, uh, and, and to, and to effectively distribute that and to lift people up out of poverty with that is, uh, a pipe dream. I wish that could be the case. Uh, but, but like, one of the, we, we, let me, so, let me just stop you for a second. We don't, yeah. We don't hold to the view that anybody who comes from a lower socioeconomic class is just looking for a handout, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So there yeah. are some people that are truly trying to better their lives, better their situation. That's a really broad brushstroke. If if we did that, if we said that, if we painted that, mm-hmm. I think we misspoke and misrepresented our viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I okay. mean, like my, my family would be uh, a family that, that, you know, lifted itself out of poverty whatever poverty means, you know, sometimes that goalpost kind of shifts, but sure. there's a fascinating book. I would encourage whoever um, submitted this comment um, by uh, Booker T. Washington called up from slavery. Um, hmm. Fascinating read, very engaging, um, enlightening read, but um, definitely check it out for the sake of time. I'm not going to go into details of it, but um, yeah, the, the, the government is a secular entity um, and it doesn't always have the best interest in mind for those who are recipients of uh, entitlement programs. Many times, and history bears this out, those who are issuing entitlement um, programs and overseeing them are doing so uh, with ulterior motives, and that could be Mm -hmm. garnering votes from a certain demographic um, or whatever the case may be. Uh, But yeah, and churches are just as capable, organizations of faith are just as capable of enabling people to stay in poverty. And I like, you know, he's not like a great theological thinker. <clears throat> Benjamin Franklin said that one of the best things you can do for someone is to make them uncomfortable in their poverty. Hmm. And I think that that's, that bears true, biblically speaking, that, you know, I, I like reading the rabbis and what the rabbis say about giving charity. And they've actually enumerated and ranked different levels of charity. And the highest form of charity is to give to someone with the intent and with the uh, the end product of making them self-sufficient. So, mm-hmm. you know, for instance— It's almost like coaching and helping them, not just giving them something for an immediate need, but setting yeah. them up for long-term success. Yeah, you know, like paying for their college tuition or something like that. You know, basically, right. you know, the whole adage, like, teach a man to fish. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, here's here's an example. I was just actually sitting with with a friend last night, and— he he um, came. He uh, was adopted from the Philippines, um, came to the, the United States of America, enlisted in the U.S. Army, um, did two combat tours. But while wow. there, he was sending money back to his biological father in the Philippines, who was putting on this facade of actually needing the support, needing to help pay rent and all this stuff. And he felt like this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, some time goes by, and he actually discovers that his dad was using the money to pay for a mistress. 
And he mm. felt deeply wounded by that and deeply hurt by that. So yeah. should he continue giving freely of his resources to his poor dad in that situation? The answer would be, obviously, everyone would say no. So we have to—this this, <coughs> this issue is very nuanced and, and demands a lot of context, basically. Yeah. That if a person is making efforts to meet you and, and putting forth— uh, you know, motivation and effort to, to lift themselves out of poverty, um, then I believe you should continue to give of your resources. That might be money. That could be time. That could be skills. That could be mentoring, yeah. encouragement, prayer. But to give to someone who is just taking and taking and taking and they're not doing something to get out of poverty despite all those gifts, I believe you're giving and making them comfortable in their poverty. And that's, yeah. um, that's actually hurting them. And the loving yeah. thing to do in that situation is to cut off cut off your giving or to downgrade your giving to make them feel the pain of their own poverty and, and their sense of entitlement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think what we were trying to suggest in that episode is that redistributing wealth and dismantling certain social structures through legislation mm-hmm. might not be the path out of poverty and oppression that some people think that it will be. Mm-hmm. Um. I do think in within reason there there is a place for social services to be available mm-hmm. to help those in situations of poverty and need but in terms of how much social welfare should be available to whom it should be available I think that's a that's a discussion that's probably going to be shaped by someone's view of the ideal role and size of the state mm-hmm. like in terms of big government versus small government that kind of thing mm-hmm. um for me though I I think that a lot of the you know, perspective I have on poverty has been shaped by me working with people in situations of poverty through being a teacher and working in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which has a a very, very big homeless community. So we worked in the homeless community when I was on staff at our Murfreesboro campus. And, um, man, there were some people that really, really had a lot of needs that were willing to, um, take the help that was offered them and use that to to try to better themselves. And then there were people who it was always like this safety net that was there. And because that safety net was there, even though they were more than able to work, they weren't doing anything to earn their own keep to the dignity of their own hard work. Mm-hmm. And that mindset became very generational and would get passed down to certain communities and even in certain families so that like anyone that did try to better themselves, there was almost like this thought of, well, you think you're better than us, you know, like you're, (laughs) and so like, I think that social programs that expand the role of the state beyond what it needs to be Mm -hmm. actually end up not helping people in poverty in the long run because they disincentivize people and teach them that they can just Mm -hmm. rely on the government over the dignity of their own hard work. So, in the case of like how we as Christians deal with that, I think we have to be like willing to give to the poor and help the poor. And we can't just write them off with a broad brush joke and, Oh, they just want to be, you know, I just want to go smoke crack with that money. I I think we've got to be soft towards that, but I think we got to rethink like, how do we really help somebody? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I think there's like this extreme that we could go to. We could go to the extreme of just like giving money hand over fist to anybody that asks, because well, what would Jesus do? Well, he probably wouldn't do that, but um, that's also, I think some people justify that. Or the other extreme is every time we see somebody in a situation of need, we just sort of write them off because we're just like, well, they just they probably want to go get drunk or they, you know, 
and I think our hearts should always be soft, but I would just say to anybody that has a heart for homeless or low income, go find a ministry that has a board and has like structure and is able to give people the help that's actually going to really help them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. whether that's like a food pantry or um, that's like a a ministry that actually has caseworkers that form relationships with people to help them, not just give them a handout, but give them a hand up, I would say that's probably the best way to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we were talking about in that CRT episode about the underpinnings of CRT it has kind of this, this Marxist – I mean, that's just a very – you don't have to scratch the surface very hard to find Marx's uh, ideals within the CRT mm-hmm. movement. And um, we have to be very careful with that because Marx, if you actually read Marx, um, you know, he called religion the opium of the masses. He was the, mm-hmm. the, the, one of the very first stages of Marxism is to deny a, a supreme creator, that the state needs to become the, the be-all and end-all, the giver right. of life, so to speak. And mm-hmm. so we want to be careful we don't play into that hand because um, Marx's ideas rolled out uh, devoid of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, like mm-hmm. I said, always devolve down to who has the most money and the biggest guns. And that doesn't end well. That uh, ends yeah. with a lot of human suffering when it was pitched as a way to, to solve human suffering. Now, Holy Spirit-driven, regenerated desire like we see in the book of acts um you know acts 2 uh, acts 3 where people are giving freely through the volition and the circ- circumcision of their hearts through the holy spirit that's that is good and, and that is justice but what what an interesting thing we see going on in acts 2 and 3 is that people are selling off their property and they're putting it at the feet of the apostles and then the apostles through their hmm. knowledge and through their discernment and stewardship are distributing it to those who have need. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you think by and large though, and, and maybe this is a super broad brushstroke, but do you think that American evangelicals by and large show compassion towards the poor? Oh yeah. I'd say that evangelicals are a very compassionate group. Um, and, and hmm. you know, sometimes Sometimes evangelicals, uh, you know, we can say, well, buy the buy the full Republican ticket and say, well, let's do away with all entitlement programs and welfare programs. And so, therefore, evangelicals, by extension, maybe get painted as people who are not. Just because they don't vote for legislation that people say is supporting social services to help those in poverty. Do you think that's why they get painted as not caring about the poor? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would say absolutely. No, everybody's, everybody's different. And if sure. you're asking me to, you know, expose what's on people's hearts and minds, I can't, I can't do that. But yeah, I would no. say from my experience of evangelicals are, are uh, giving compassionate people. I would say, I don't know. I would say that they are when they're given a path forward for how to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or they are reminded of the need to. Yeah. I think that <clears throat> in a lot of churches, I'll be careful I say this because I don't want to slander any church, but I think where the church puts all the emphasis on facilities mm-hmm. and events and bringing in big speakers and creating the church out to be just a, a big attraction that people mm-hmm. in the community want to come to to see the big show, 
my experience has been that many people in in those circles don't really see the need to be as um, boots on the ground, like helping homeless people as much or and, – and maybe that's a broad brushstroke. I'm, I'm not saying that's for every – you know, mega church or whatever you want to call it, which I can't even speak to that because I guess our church would be considered a mega church. But I, I want to say that there's some circles of evangelicalism that tend to turn a blind eye to that mm-hmm. because in their mind the most important thing is kind of garnering a massive crowd to have this transcendent experience of a, a worship service or a concert where there's a, thousands of people there and everybody feels great because, hey, your favorite singer's there, your favorite speaker's there, or I don't know, and, and yeah. maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but it seems to me like the emphasis in a lot of places is not put on bettering the community and being salt and light. It's put on let's build this massive attraction so people want to come to it, and then in the process they'll hear about Jesus. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was maybe that was not a, not accurate, but that's certainly how it feels in some places. Yeah, that definitely that definitely happens, and it could be mis appropriated generosity <clears throat> yeah um, true right. yeah yeah okay before i get in trouble and say anything i shouldn't i'm gonna move on to the next one so <laughs> let's do it <laughs> when i say get in trouble say anything i shouldn't i just watched this movie called the eyes of tammy Faye about jim mm. and tammy Faye baker and heritage land usa so i have this like anger towards um prosperity gospel preaching right now a little bit just because seeing that and seeing the abuses in that so Mm. um i can't recommend that movie to everybody because there's certainly some salacious parts because it was a salacious uh scandal so um there might be some fast forwarded scenes but uh kind of crazy how that whole thing went down in the 80s so are you familiar Mm. with that jim jim and tammy Mm -hmm. baker yeah 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 the movie is really good um but anyway, yeah, if you watch it, you'll you'll be very uh, you'll have a taste in your mouth for um, anything that sounds or smells like PTL for a while. You're going to be like, Ugh, Ugh. I don't want anything to do with that. So anyway, all right. Next question. This is a <laughs> fascinating one. The Witch of Indoor. Hmm. The Witch of Indoor. This is an interesting story in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've never heard of it, First Samuel 28, verses 7 through 20, is the only biblical account we have in our Bibles of someone being visited by such a manner um, by someone who was deceased. So basically the story is <clears throat> Saul has um, deprived himself of every legitimate means of spiritual input, because of his own disobedience and rebellion. Uh, the prophet Samuel is dead, and so the prophet Samuel is no longer giving Saul the kind of spiritual input he needs. Um, and so uh, the funny thing is Saul had, as the king of Israel, banned mediums and spiritists from Israel. Deuteronomy eighteen eleven mm-hmm. says that mediums and spiritists, people who summon up the dead from the grave, were banned. Um, but this king, the king of Israel, the most powerful guy in the land that probably was responsible for enforcing this law, goes to a witch, goes to a medium or spiritist to summon up Samuel from the grave to get Samuel's insight on a situation that he's dealing with. And the Bible says that Samuel was summoned from the grave, hmm. 
which is kind of crazy because it's like, okay, so does that mean Samuel was summoned from heaven? What does that What does that mean? Um, <clears throat> so the question that this person sent in is, was that really Samuel who was summoned or was that a demon who was summoned by this witch? So, Gabe, what say ye? <laughs> That's interesting. Really, really well, Samuel or a demon? Uh, there's there's a lot of good evidence for either one. Um, hmm. And I was, I was reading on this question and kind of researching this a little bit, and it seems to be a question and a topic that has kind of consumed the imagination and, you know, the discussions of theologians for a couple thousand years. Uh, you know, Calvin chimed in on it. Luther chimed in on it. King James chimed in on it. Um, really? LeBron yeah, James? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He read the Bible. Yeah. But <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. And um, I'm of right now, if I, if you had to pin me down, I would say that the witch of Endor actually summons the spirit of the prophet Samuel. Yeah, I think so too. But there, and I have a couple of reasons why, because she, she's acting she she actually acts really surprised. She's she's yes. startled by this, um, which but, I think that suggests she was used to being a fraud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that's what that suggests? Like she's used yeah. to summoning demons and spirits and like not really the person from the dead. And then when she actually sees it, Saul, yeah, she she's freaks like, out because she's oh, like, crap. oh yeah, <laughs> like this this doesn't usually happen. Oh my gosh, like here's actual the person I was summoning. It's not a spirit that's pretending to be this person. It's actually the person. Yeah, uh, but the the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, <clears throat> actually calls her in. I hope I'm going to pronounce this right. In engastromythos, which is it sounds like uh, a terrible disease. Yeah, yeah, but it's actually it's actually <laughs> <laughs> it calls her the engastrom engastromythos in Endor, which is like from what I understand, it has the ideas the idea of being the ventriloquist of Endor. In other words, she's someone who could put on like a good show and kind of like throw her voice. So uh, that's a that's a Greek word in gastromythos. So mythos is magic or mythology. Gastro yes. is from the gut. <clears throat> yes, and in yeah. is mythology from the gut. Basically, is what that yeah, word yeah. in Greek means. Yeah, it's yeah. So, so interesting. So at least the Greek translators of the of the Hebrew Bible, <clears throat> the ones that translated into Greek, thought of her as someone who just kind of through her voice basically and and didn't really and then so I think when this actually happened and I think I think she did not raise the prophet I think God raised the prophet and put and, and raised him and put his spirit in that situation in that interaction and that really startled her and hmm. uh and then and then Samuel spoke um yeah. and gave a correct prophecy um yeah so yeah basically that's, that's the, the news of king Saul's coming defeat and death which ended up being accurate mm-hmm. right yeah but then <clears throat> i mean king james uh wrote arguing against this theory so king james would disagree with me and he is going to cite second corinthians eleven fourteen, where it says that satan can transform himself into an angel of light so hmm. you know there there is the possibility sure that this what we think is samuel speaking is actually a demonic entity or is satan um but no. i think i think it's it seems like more of the evidence is actually pointing that this is actually Sam- this is actually Samuel. Yeah, I think so too. 
And I think, too, to keep in mind, this is not a prescriptive passage. So this isn't saying that mm-hmm. you should do that, too. Like, mm-hmm. oh, man, I wonder what D.L. Moody would have to say about this situation. Let me go to a spirit medium and summon, you know, mm-hmm. the, the spirit of Billy Graham or the spirit of D.L. Moody or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is like, no, no, we're not supposed to do this. The Bible says that anyone who visits a medium or a spirit is banned from the people of God. You're defiled by that. Um and I would say that this is the exception that God allowed in order to have Samuel prophesy mm-hmm. to King Saul the news of his coming de- defeat and death. So I think when somebody does this now, mm-hmm. which I visited Salem, Massachusetts, because there was a church there that we worked with. It's the capital of the Satanic Church, mm. Salem, Massachusetts. And everywhere you go, there are these um, witch shops or magic shops. And some of them are kind of campy. You know, capitalizing on the whole, you know, Salem witch trial, but some of them are like legit Mm. spirit mediums and people having seances. And there were people who were like just on the sidewalk, man, like sitting there going into trances, Mm. like becoming mediums for some kind of a spirit. And I would say what they were really doing was summoning a demon Mm -hmm. who would basically pretend to be a deceased family member or Mm -hmm. something to deceive a living family member or any living individual to basically get them to believe that heaven and hell aren't real. And when you die, you kind of just float in the ether. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like behind like the ghost and, you know, spirit hunters and all these ghost hunter shows. I think the whole point of the demonic deception is that is to get people to believe there's no such thing as heaven and hell. Mm. Some people are like, well, I believe in ghosts. I, I don't believe in ghosts. I believe in demons. Mm-hmm. That try to deceive people to, you know, make them think that there's no such thing as heaven and hell. But I I do think there are certain houses that have demonic infestations. Mm. So when people say a haunted house, I'm like, well, yeah, but not haunted by ghosts, haunted by demons. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole other episode. But mm. yeah. So Man. number four. Number four. <laughs> Uh, this was sent in by a listener who asked us to maybe speak to the idea of mental health, um, something called spiritual bypassing. I was not familiar with that term. I had to go look that up. And really speaking to the differences between a spirit of fear and a panic attack. And really what I found when I looked up spiritual bypassing is spiritual bypassing as a way of hiding behind spirituality or spiritual practices. Mm. So basically preventing people from acknowledging what they're feeling and focusing on spirituality, ignoring the present and being overly positive and Mm. overly optimistic. So essentially like what I'm assuming this, uh, this listener is speaking about is when someone has a legitimate like mental health disorder of anxiety and someone else comes in and says, well, you just aren't trusting God, or mm-hmm. you just need to stop worrying. Mm. And I think that's what they mean by spiritual bypassing, when okay. someone basically is saying, you don't have enough faith, you're not trusting God, when it very well could be they're trying to trust God, they're trying to have faith, but they're still experiencing like real panic attacks, real anxiety, um, that kind of thing. So speaking to that. So mm. what do you think? It sounds very like word of faithy too, like the spiritual bypassing thing. It's just, mm-hmm. it's interesting, um, but yeah, I mean, so I'm 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 wondering if the question is like, 
a spirit of fear. Like, what's the difference between a spirit of fear and a panic attack? Yeah. So, like, uh, here's the thing, I guess. I, either spirit of fear or panic attack, we live in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And a spirit of fear and panic and anxiety, depression, all of that is going to come either directly or indirectly from the results of living in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. It may be something tragic or traumatic that happened in your past, maybe as a child or something like that, that's perpetually coming up and causing you anxiety and panic or, um, you know, so like past fear. trauma, something like that. Yeah. Like past trauma could. So, but that's not necessarily a mm. spirit of fear. That's just you right. as an individual have experienced and brushed up against evil in the world <clears throat> and you're having right. to suffer because of that. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't think that everything, I don't think we can just turn over every rock and say that that's a spirit of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some real, uh, instances where there is some, someone who needs deliverance from a spirit. Uh, there's a, a spiritual, I mean, we, we wage not against flesh and blood, right. But against right. spiritual, spiritual principalities. So yeah, there's absolutely cases, but then there, I think there are other cases where, um, someone has experienced some deep seated trauma in their life and they have panic attacks or they have, mm-hmm. you know, uh, depression or anxiety because of that. Right. Um, those things might be on an anatomical level, but yeah. they've experienced those things because of a spiritual dynamic. Does that make sense? I think so. Almost like that um, the dark forces <clears throat> of Satan and his demons capitalize in on somebody that may have past trauma or environmental stress or brain chemistry or genetics or any other medical conditions that would create anxiety, Mm -hmm. that there's almost like a demonic attack on top of all those things. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, No, I guess what I'm saying is like, so maybe a a cycle of abuse in a family or a cycle of alcoholism Mm -hmm. um, that could be demonic oppression in that family. That is being oh, okay. passed down generation to generation. But then when you break that cycle <clears throat> and let's say you stop, you know, drinking and you're, you stop abusing alcohol or whatever the case may be. Um, are you still, you know, you're still maybe experiencing the trauma and the anxiety that comes with living around a bunch of people who did that, but that might, right. might not necessarily be. Um, and maybe you, you were delivered from that demonic oppression, but you're still experiencing those things. Those hmm. could be, purely anatomical experiences a physical anatomical right, experiences right, 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 right. but they're a result of something that was a spiritual attack on your family yeah or, and oh, ultimately it goes way back to a spiritual attack on all of humanity that it happened yeah. in the garden yeah um and that I, sent this cascading effect of sin and evil and brokenness in the world that absolutely yeah i think that's a good way to look at it i i also think there's a difference between the sin of anxiety and the mental health disorder of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like Philippians four says, don't be anxious about anything. And so somebody could point to that and be like, well, Bible says don't do it. So therefore it's a sin to be anxious. Mm-hmm. But I think the sin of anxiety <clears throat> is different because what the Bible says in first Corinthians four after that is, but in every situation by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So, I think somebody commits the sin of anxiety when they choose not to pray over what is concerning them, but instead mm-hmm. choose to try to control it through worry and obsession without mm-hmm. taking it to God. That's when it's a sin. And the other thing I think <clears throat> I want to avoid 
and encourage this person who submitted this comment to avoid is allowing people to speak into their life in a way that goes like this. Oh, you have fear, you have anxiety, you struggle with depression, you might have demonic oppression in your life or mm -hmm. got even worse, demonic possession in your life. Mm -hmm. And you don't have the faith to deal with that and be delivered from that. Um, I think that that's manipulative and that's biblically off base and controlling yeah. and dangerous. Um, don't allow people to speak into your life like that. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. There are instances where <clears throat> that stuff does happen, sure. but because you're just experiencing anxiety or fear or panic, um, it, it doesn't mean that you're lacking in faith. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I think too, like, because we live in a broken world that's been tattered by the curse of sin, mm -hmm. disease and sickness are still with us. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> if a Christian gets a disease or has a sickness like, you know, kidney disease or liver disease, that doesn't mean that they're in sin or they have a demon. Right. It just means that they still live in a world under the curse of sin. So mm -hmm. certain things like panic disorder, uh, specific phobias like agoraphobia or claustrophobia or social anxiety, generalized anxiety, separation anxiety, the cause of those things could be brain chemistry, certain medical conditions like heart, lung, or thyroid conditions. Um, and like we said, past trauma, like physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, like, mm -hmm. and, and so like someone can have that not because they're in sin or not because they have a demon, but because yeah. they have a genuine disease or genuine sickness. And, and like we pray for healing and we ask God to heal, but sometimes God heals through medicine and medical care and counseling and things mm -hmm. like that. I think the one caution I would have to anybody is do not let something like anxiety define you. Mm -hmm. You are not someone who is defined by your anxiety. Like, I think so many people think that medicine is going to be the end all be all of it. Mm -hmm. Like right now, the check engine light is on in our minivan. And it would be really easy for me to just pop the hood and find out which part is causing the check engine light to come on and just unplug that part. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people look to medicine to do. So because I'm feeling anxious, I'm just going to feel numb instead. Mm -hmm. And I'm not anti-medicine. Maybe you need that medicine. But what I'm saying is don't just throw medicine at it and go numb. Go see a counselor that loves Jesus and has the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and can walk with you through whatever it is that may be causing that and so you can get healing from that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and so it's important to recognize, too. I think you did, a <clears throat> you did a fantastic job articulating what I was trying to articulate. And it's important to recognize that that check engine light came on for a variety of reasons. Right. It's not just necessarily your negligence, Josh, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it, it's not, it's, it could be the prior owner of that van didn't do a good job maintaining that van, mm -hmm. or maybe there's a pattern of behavior. You are, um, you know, a pattern of driving that is causing that check engine light. That's causing that part in the van to, to, to go bad before it's time. But that check engine light came on, but yeah, like you said, if you were just to unplug the sensor, um, that would be negligence. But if you take yeah. it to someone who is trained to deal with that, um, and say, okay, I see what's going on here. This maybe, maybe, Hey, have you tried not flooring it at every green light, you know, and, <laughs> or 
you know, do I mean, you that's have the problem with the van? That's what I want to do. I want to race. I want <laughs> yeah. to drift, drift race in the Honda Odyssey. That's my problem. But yeah, or or the the person might say, do you have the maintenance records for this particular part? Right. Because you know, right. I want to see the prior owner how they how they did this and how you know what well, did they what kind of part did they put on here? And that's it's important yeah. that an expert <clears throat> analyze that and it not just be like, okay, let me just medicate that and, and get it over with. Well, and something too, we're seeing unprecedented instances of of anxiety among the younger generations like Gen Z and younger. Mm-hmm. And there is, we, we talked about this in the social media episode. There is a direct correlation, maybe even a causation between someone's social media use and their anxiety. Mm-hmm. So to say the answer is throw medicine at it without saying, well, maybe we should examine your social media habits and how much emphasis you're putting on people affirming you via Instagram likes. Mm-hmm. or whatever else it is. I'm just using that as an example. Um, man, there was a young guy who was discipling years ago, and he was struggling with anxiety and depression, all this stuff. And we started just talking about his habits. He would stay up sometimes all night playing video games. Mm. And he wasn't getting enough sleep. He wasn't taking care of his diet. He wasn't exercising. He didn't have like a scheduled routine in terms of like working and sleeping and taking care of himself. And he was wondering why he had depression. <laughs> and he's like, I just need to take medicine. I'm like... Mm. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but what if we tried you getting a decent night's sleep and taking a break from video games for a while? Mm-hmm. Let's try that. Yeah. And I don't think that's spiritual bypassing, but I do think that's like somebody helping someone maybe go deeper than just, um, yeah, this is just a thing you're going to have to live with your whole life. And maybe it will be, but there's ways to manage it, and the Holy Spirit, I think, can speak to that as well. So. Mm. All right. Here's the next one. This should be an easy one. <laughs> the shack. Boom, boom. Do you know about the shack? I know very little about this one. So I'm going to mostly <coughs> sit on the sidelines on this one and let you, <laughs> let you deal with it and then maybe, maybe ask you some follow-up questions about it. Okay. So this person wanted to know, why does the shack not line up with the gospel? What should a believer know? So if you're not familiar with the shack... Shack is a novel that was written in 2007 by a guy by the name of William P. Young. And um, I think a good way to understand the Shack is to understand a little bit about William P. Young. His testimony was he came from a background very, very sad, um, very heartbreaking. While he was in a boarding school as a missionary kid, he was sexually abused. And he never got healing from that. And so later on in his adulthood even as a believer, even as a, you know, um, a follower of Jesus, he had just a significant struggles with sexual addiction so much so that it came to a point he almost lost his family and mm. his ministry and all that stuff. So in 2007, he wrote a novel that basically was a, um, a part of fictional imagination of a guy by the name of Mackenzie Phillips or Mac who suffered a great pain because in the novel, his young daughter was killed by a serial killer. And so this character in the novel gets a note from Papa to meet him in a rundown shack in the woods. And, um, Mac, this character in the story was raised by an abusive father, um, who was also a pastor and has these like really messed up understandings of God. And, and in the, novel this character doesn't really see god as wanting an intimate relationship with him 
He just sees God as judgmental and vicious and abusive and hypocritical, just like his dad. And so when this guy gets to the shack, because he got a note from Papa God to go to the shack, he is embraced by a, um, this is a quote from the novel, a large beaming African-American woman who introduces herself as Papa. That's supposed to be Father God, apparently. Mm. And then he's introduced to the rest of the Trinity. There's Jesus, who's a Middle Eastern man dressed as kind of a carpenter or laborer. And then the Holy Spirit, her name is Sarah Yu. Um, she is, in the novel, a Chinese or Nepalese or even Mongolian uh, woman. And so basically the story is this guy, Mac, having a conversation with these three supposed members of the Trinity as they work through the issues of creation, fall, and redemption. And so, as you can imagine, this ruffled quite a bit of feathers from Christians because they go, wait a second, so Father God is an old black woman, that's hmm. Father God, and Holy Spirit is a Chinese woman. And, of course, William P. Young was like, no, 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 this is just a work of fiction, this is just me kind of processing my own misunderstandings about the character and nature of God. And I get that, but I think there is some fair criticism of some of the theology that it represents or leads people to is probably a little bit um, dangerous. So there is a really good article I would recommend. I don't have time to go through all of it, but Dr. Michael Youssef has a, um, a radio program called Leading the Way, and on his website he has a resource. It's a downloadable PDF called 13 Heresies of the Shack where he goes through some of the things that um, are presented in the novel and basically just shows the scripture that kind of says, no, that's not really true. Um, mm -hmm. But basically, I think the one criticism that people have of the shack is that it seems to lean towards soft universalism. Mm. So in other words, it seems to suggest that on the cross, God forgave all of humanity, even if they don't repent, and some people will choose a relationship with him, but he still forgives them all regardless. And that's kind of, uh, you know, if somebody doubled down and said to William P. Young, okay, so what are you saying by that? He'd probably just say, oh, I'm just saying God's got to love, and I get that, but it kind of seems to suggest that everybody's going to get saved in the end because God just loves everybody, and God does love everybody, but Jesus said in John 14, 6, that only those who come to him will be saved. Hmm. That makes sense why some people are kind of concerned about some of the insinuations of it. Yeah. It kind of is reminiscent of Rob Bell's uh, Love Wins. Yeah. Is it maybe that Love yeah. Wins on steroids a little bit. Yeah. I, I would say, like, the heart behind it is good because what he's trying to do is kind of dismantle people's concepts of a God that is <clears throat> vicious and abusive and hard and get them to see God as a father. That's kind of his point in that. Mm. But I think he goes a little bit too far and almost seems to suggest that um, Jesus is going to walk with all people in their different journeys to God, and it doesn't matter which way you get to him. Yeah, You can kind of get to him through, well, I understand God to be an old black woman. Well, that's great. I understand God to be a, a piece of cotton candy sitting on a cloud, right? And it's like, no, God is God. Like, <clears throat> I get that God can present himself any way he chooses to, but I, I think it's a little dangerous to just say that my version of God um, is different from your version of God, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. 
because we don't get to define God. I think that's the part that I feel is the most dangerous. Yeah, look, if you're looking for good, sound theological treatises, uh, don't turn to books that Oprah Winfrey is hawking on her show. (laughs) That's a dead giveaway that maybe this is not theologically robust. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. that was the first first obviously. I mean that was a complete turn off to me and I was like, mm. yeah, that's it doesn't doesn't deserve my time right now. So. Yeah. I will say when I first read this book, I was not walking with the Lord. Um <clears throat> and I read this book I think in 2008 and I had a lot of wounds from the church. I had a lot of wounds from mm. just some really spiritually abusive places I'd been in. And so when I read it, it really softened my heart to the idea of God as a father. Mm. But then as I started growing in my faith and I started realizing what the Bible said about God, it it really kind of um, caused me to look on some of the things that this book presented with a lot of suspicion. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the heart and intention behind it is good. I think some people have genuinely be helped buy it to see God as a father. But I think if you are a Christian that wants a biblical version of God, not just like a, you know, whatever it is that you want to see God as, I I would not recommend it to anybody. Mm. Um, I think it opens the door for soft universalism. I think it opens the door for us to say anybody can get to God any way they choose. You can reimagine God to be something that he's not in order to make him easier to trust, follow, and love. And I, for those reasons, would say that's a no that's a no from me, dog. <laughs> to quote the great Randy Jackson. Mm. So, cool. Next one. Yeah, I got two more to go here. All right. What are your thoughts on the podcast, "The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill"? Oh. Mm. You said your wife has been listening to this one. She has. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like a, it sounds. The way she describes it, it's kind of like an NPR like kind of a murder mystery kind of podcast. Yes, it is excellent, excellent, excellent podcasting. Like, mm. I haven't heard this kind of a uh, journalism mm-hmm. or podcast since. I mean, I've never heard a Christian podcast that's put together like this. It honestly is kind of like um, Revisionist History by Malcolm mm-hmm. Gladwell, how he mm-hmm. does interviews and different, like, it's it's built like that. I mean, it's yeah. it's really good. Like, just as a work of journalism, it's incredible. Mm. <clears throat> but um, how familiar were you with <clears throat> Mars Hill Church and Mark Driscoll uh, when that was kind of in its heyday? Moderately familiar. Um, okay. I, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark Driscoll kind of rose to popularity um, as this idea of like live streaming was also uh-huh. kind of taking off. And so like he gained a lot of well, popularity. Yeah, po- um, MP3s. So like yeah, yeah. <clears throat> late 90s, early 2000s. They were the first church, and this is through the podcast you can hear, they were the first church to post on the website audio MP3s of his teaching. Oh, interesting. Which is one of the reasons that he exploded and kind of his platform just got huge overnight. So, yeah, they kind of like rode this wave of technological advance Mm -hmm. and, you know, gained a lot of popularity really quickly and were kind of not prepared for that. Um, And my dad used to say this adage is just so timeless and true that a man of God has a potential to fall on the three G's, which are the gold girls and glory yep. or a combination thereof. And yeah, it seems like the, the podcast is basically getting at like Mark Driscoll is a human 
and he gained a lot of popularity really quickly, mm-hmm. a lot of followers really quickly, and it kind of went to his head. <laughs> yeah. Is that, it, is that the gist of it? It is kind of, I think more, more than anything, it's a cautionary tale of mm-hmm. kind of the pitfalls of leadership. Mm. Like if you get too much power and fame, but you don't have the character to match it. Mm. But I also think it's a cautionary tale of picking a leader to follow mm. and to not be deceived by someone's charisma and talent, but to also be discerning about their character. And it's also, I think, a cautionary tale of basically like um, the structures and systems that enable toxic leadership. Mm-hmm. So I was actually a very, very ardent Mark Driscoll follower back in the late 2000s. So 2009, 2010. Um, Somebody pointed Jenny, my wife, when we were still dating to a sermon series called The Peasant Princes. It was about Song of Solomon. Hmm. And I had never, ever, ever, ever heard somebody preach like this. Like he was biblical and theologically robust but at the same time he was very conversational and just like hilarious and easy to listen to and he was talking about things like sex and marriage with such a like candor like he was not blushing about it at all and i had never heard a christian pastor talk about it like that so his vision for like manhood and young men taking responsibility and all that stuff that was super super attractive to me because I was still kind of healing up from my parents' divorce and mm. all the role models I had as men were kind of not people I respected or looked up to. And here was this guy that seemed so certain and so sure, basically saying, hey, follow me. This is what it looks like to be a man, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't just me. It was like I met so many other young men who were just like me, like trying to start their careers and trying to start their ministry and trying to, you know, get married that were – really attracted to him just as a, as a leader and a speaker. Um, but what ended up happening is basically all of these toxic things were happening under the surface in his church that you didn't see if you were just podcasting him or watching videos about him. Mm. And all of that came back to haunt him. And essentially all of the spiritual abuse and like he had a explosive temper and had this habit of like, <clears throat> being very not compassionate in leading people. Mm. All that stuff came back to haunt him in 2014 and he left Marshall church and the whole church fell apart. And this was a church of like 15,000 people. Gosh. So, um, and it just overnight just collapsed. I mean, one of the top podcasts in, uh, on iTunes and he just disappeared overnight. Mm. So, um, my thoughts on it is I think it's incredible journalism. I think it's heartbreaking and frustrating. But there's a pastor named John Tyson out of New York City, and he tweeted this about it, and I think this is a very good word of caution. He said there's a fine line between cautionary tales and failure porn, mm. and it's mainly in your own heart. We must be humble, not gloat in the fall of others, and realize what each of us is also capable of. Yeah. So I would caution anybody if you if you are like wanting to listen to this to um just kind of gloat over somebody else's fall and that that idea of failure porn I think is a very powerful word picture of like 
pornography is basically we are seeing something we don't need to see because it's none of our business to see it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what failure porn can be. Like if we have no reason to really go into that, we just want that so we, we our flesh can be gratified, then we probably don't need to listen. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. <clears throat> yeah, and I think it's it's a good cautionary tale, like you said, because we need to be telling our congregants that their faith does not hang on men like you and I. Yep. And if it does, they need to reevaluate that and reassess that. Um, yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah, and it's hard. You know, you want to you want to, especially. I think it might be a good podcast listener listen for ministry leaders. Yes. To go through and to learn from, uh, not like you said, gloat over, but to say, how do I equip my people that I'm leading to be um, free thinking agents who mm-hmm. test what I say. Uh, trust me, but also don't hang their entire faith on me as a human being. Yeah. So that's tough. If you come from a background of spiritual abuse, you've been spiritually abused and you're trying to process that, <clears throat> mm. I would say be very discerning about how much of that you listen to. Mm. So you might need to listen to it to be able to give yourself some peace of mind of knowing what to look for and, and to how to practice discernment. Mm-hmm. But you might need to back off a little bit because if you feel your heart growing cynical and saying, well, I can't trust anybody, well, that's not true. Yeah. So, so be careful, be discerning. Mm. All right, last question. Number seven. Number seven. This is from <clears throat> our friend Mallory. She has a question that she she asked a long time ago. And we're just now answering. So thank you for being patient, Mallory. Sorry it's taking us so long to answer. Her question is for Gabe in particular. Mm. And she said, I have a friend in my small group who is interested in adopting some Jewish traditions. She's excited to learn about the feast and to begin to implement them within her family. I know the feasts are a great way to remember what God has done through his people in the fast and look forward to future consummation. However, she's also wanting to go back and learn the law in order to follow it. I'm not sure she understands how thorough and all-encompassing that is going to be. We've had a lot of discussions of how Jesus came to fulfill the law and how the New Testament is encouraging the believers not to go back to the old way because Jesus is so much better. She feels it's important to follow the law in order to be set apart from the rest of the world. I completely understand that this is the reason God gave the law to Israel in the first place, but I'm curious as someone who is within the Jewish culture, so I guess the Messianic community, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how you would address this. So, mm. <clears throat> Gabe, in thirty seconds or less. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no pressure, no pressure at all. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Thank you for asking it, and I love that your friend is looking into adopting some of these aspects of her faith and weaving them into her faith and trust in the Messiah of Israel. Um, because, yeah, that that has absolutely uh, illuminated um, and deepened my understanding of the gospel of celebrating and going through the feast now for about twelve years with my family the biblical feast days and how they yeah, definitely point towards the coming Messiah of Israel. And, um, you know, with regards to the law and her desire to observe the law, um, first of all, uh, the law is good. The law is intact and the law is encouraged by Christ to be observed. But where we, um, and, and to, to throw some verses out there, like Matthew five seventeen through 20 yeah. would be a good one, <clears throat> where Christendom um, splits itself and splinters itself is not whether or not the law is to be observed, but what is the law and how much of it applies to the believer today. Hmm. That is the question that 
every believer has to grapple with. Um, because, you know, Matthew, Matthew 7, you know, Jesus says, you know, you, you do these amazing things in my name and you'll come to me and he'll say, depart from me. I didn't, I, I don't know you, you worker of lawlessness. First um, John 3, 4 says that sin is the transgression of the law. So <laughs> we have to come to terms with what is the law? Uh, how much of it do I need to keep? You know, Gabe Rutledge, uh, a male in Dothan, Alabama in the year 2022. Um, and then always keeping in the forefront of our minds that the law, it, if it, like, whatever, whatever definition you come to on what the law is, even if it's different than mine, um, the law is not what saves you. Mm. Faith and trust in the Messiah of Israel, repentance of, of dead works and, and being born again of, of water and of spirit. That's what, that's what saves you. Yeah. Um, that's a fr- completely free gift to you. Now, what we do with that salvation is called obedience. And we are to keep God's commandments. And that's, that's again, where I would encourage you to seek the advice of someone, you know, who is your spiritual head and study the Bible extensively on that topic of which commandments of the Bible apply to you um, and how do you keep them? What does it look hmm. like? And so, for instance, like, you know, we would all agree that uh, murdering is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I don't need to write a copy of the law of the Torah because I'm not a, I'm not a Jewish king. And that was commanded only for Jewish kings. So right, you right, kind of right. have to go through. <clears throat> so the knowing law. the differences between like the judicial laws for ancient Israel, mm-hmm. the ceremonial laws for ethnic Jews, and then the, um, what do we call them? The laws for all people in all places and all times, like yeah, don't murder, like, don't steal, don't commit adultery, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Now there's there's a, like a some denominations of Christianity will apply this kind of retroactively apply this trifold division of the law, which would be like civil, ceremonial, and um, and moral law. I okay, don't really yeah. I don't really hold to that. I don't I don't see a lot of evidence for that per se. But I do see, so like in, Jesus says in Matthew 5, um, do not think I came to abolish the, the, the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, but to fulfill them. Fulfill. And the Greek word yeah. there is to pleru. Pleru means to like fill up with meaning and understanding. Hmm. And then he, so we can't make, we can't make fulfill a synonym of abolish. Because hmm. he says, I have not come to abolish them. I have, don't think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to abolish them. Okay, so abolish, right, right, right. abolish cannot, playru cannot be a synonym of abolish. So playru is to fill up with understanding, to, to basically to live out so that we have better insight into how they are to be lived. And then he goes on to say, therefore, whoever disobeys even the least of these commandments and teaches others who the same, we call least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever so obeys and teaches um, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, there, there is this aspect that like we need to figure out which of these commandments from the least to the greatest apply to us. Are we, do we have the know-how to walk them out? And, uh, and like I said, you know, Paul gives some very stern warnings about, um, self-righteous pride and, and Hmm. keeping commandments and how the letter can kill. Um, uh, and so it's very, very important to remember that the law does not save. You know, keeping the Ten Commandments to the T will not save you, but having a faith and trust in the Messiah of Israel will. Yeah. So would you say that 
in going back through the Old Testament and seeing which parts of the law, what is the law that God's called us to follow and obey, <clears throat> that would enrich our understanding of what obedience to Messiah looks like. Yeah, I think it would enrich it, but but at the same time, I've seen time and time again people grapple with this question and come into our congregation with a certain understanding, but then go off the tracks and uh, end up um, in, in deep self-righteous pride or, or mm-hmm. deny the messiahship of Christ altogether. Hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a very, uh, yeah, I would just, I would just pray for your friend and, and you can share this episode with them and what I've said. Um, but, uh, we as humans are just so, we have just a strong propensity towards, towards pride and, um, Hmm. every ounce of obedience we need to, we need to season it with like two ounces of humility and, and, in admittance that word. we are in yeah. need of a savior. So, yeah, that's a good word. That's awesome. But I hope that answers her question. And, and yeah, you know, there's the truth defends itself. And if your friend is, you know, Titus three, nine says, you know, don't, don't engage in, uh, quarrels about the law. Mm-hmm. Um, let your friend search this out, pray for him or her, um, be there for, for them. If they have questions, um, but yeah, I would say definitely, uh, you know, celebrating the feast days and, and those sorts of things like that, that is a great way to, to learn the historical and religious context of the new Testament and, and how they ultimately point to the redemptive desire of our creator. Absolutely. And I would also say that the best way to learn that would probably be in the context of relationship. Mm-hmm like finding someone that you know is spiritually sound and doctrinally stable that does that and go sit with them and yeah you know <clears throat> that's good well did we did we seriously go through all seven of these questions i think so that's we impressive managed. yeah that is really really impressive and how how's your vitals doing you doing okay good yeah my diaper's still dry and everything <laughs> <so. Yeah. laughs> is that appropriate i don't know i don't know who knows <laughs> we've probably talked about worse in this podcast yeah. Well, guys, thank you so, so much for the awesome, insightful, very, very thoughtful questions. And as always, we love your questions. Um, so many of you send in thoughts, comments, feedback, and concerns through the email and Facebook. And, and man, keep it coming. Uh, we love that. So if you have any other questions, and uh, you know, maybe we could do a future episode of questions uh, from the mailbag. We would love to uh, talk with you about it and answer that. So... Uh, beards and Bible podcast at gmail.com is the email. You can always go on the Facebook and send us a Facebook message. Or if you know Gabe or I, you can ask us in person or shoot us a text. We would love to hear from you. So thank you guys for listening. And I don't know if it's too late to say Happy New Year, but mm. what comes next? Happy MLK Junior Day. I don't know. Mm. Happy President's Day. Mm. Who knows? See you next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.